Because the only way that this boy can love this woman is that he has to die to himself. And I say, no more, it's about me. It's all about her. And then this girl, in order for her to submit to him, it can no longer be about her. That's why I always say, is that two people walk down this aisle, but two people will not walk down the aisle the other direction. How many people is going to walk down the other direction? Just one. So we would be foolish if we go to society, our culture, talk shows, celebrities, and we took marriage advice from people who have failed and failed and failed and failed and failed time and time and time again. So we are not being duped by that anymore. We are not being duped into think that someone out there in society, the way they're telling us, has, is successful because we've seen it failed. And if you don't believe me that it's failed, you need to look no further than what we saw this past week, the great tragedy of Brad and Angelina. <laughs> so if they couldn't make it, we got no hope whatsoever. Unless maybe we start playing by a different set of rules than Brad and Angelina. And then we stop going by what society says marriage is supposed to look like, by what celebrities, by talk shows, by Dr. Phil and Oprah. And we look at the designer of marriage, who is God, who designed marriage from the very, very beginning, page one of the Bible, who designed it to look a specific way. And in the ceremony that we celebrate in the Orthodox Church has given us rich and deep lessons as to what that marriage is supposed to look like and how we are supposed to operate within it. Last week, we saw in the beginning of creation, God looked at Adam and God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And the first problem in the world was that man was alone. Not that man was lonely, but that man was alone. And there's a difference. We talked about this last week. It wasn't the problem that man was feeling sad or that man didn't have anyone to cook for him or clean for him, or anything like that. The problem was that man was made in the image of God. And God is not one, but God is three. Three and one and one and three. So God as Trinity... And we are made in the image of God. Therefore, there had to be a relationship that we were in. And the problem wasn't that man was sad or that he was lonely. The problem was the only way for man to fulfill the image in which he was created, to be in the image of God, was to have someone else to give himself for. Selfless love, sacrificing and giving. And if there is no sacrificing and there is no giving and there's no selfless love, then you're not in the image of God. So what happened when man after man fell, okay, and all the problems that we have in the world today, is man began to live with himself in a vacuum, in isolation. And man in isolation, man in a vacuum, cannot be in the image of God because God is not in a vacuum. God is love, and love requires someone else to receive that love. Not, a, not someone else to give me love, but someone else for which I can pour my love out on. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the primary purpose of marriage. Marriage, we talked about last week, is for our salvation. Marriage is for our healing. Marriage is to put us, fulfill in us the image of God. Marriage is not just for fun and for my needs and all about me. Marriage is to fulfill that image of God where there's someone else that I'm living for, that there's someone else that I'm giving myself for as opposed to living in a vacuum, a selfish life. But the only way to get there, only way to get to that point is to understand what marriage is supposed to look like. Okay, and, and our slogan here at, the, at STSA and at The Well, we always talk about our slogan is, Bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. That's what we believe is kind of our, our mission right here. Bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. Well, I don't think there's any area where that's more needed than in marriage. Because the modern world concept of marriage is broken. 
Now, you don't need to be an expert to figure out that the concept of marriage here is broken. What we need to do and what we're doing in this series is taking our ancient faith and the, and the principles that we have been, have been embedded in the wedding ceremony about what marriage is, and we are bringing those principles and bringing those, uh, that understanding to the modern world to hopefully bring healing to our marriages. Because if we want healing to our world, then we need healing to our marriages, to our families, to our way. If we are, are, are approaching marriage, we need healing to the way we view marriage. We need healing for the way marriage is in this world right now. And that's what we're doing right here. Last week was lesson number one. I'm sorry. Lesson number one last week was that wedding is a funeral. Every wedding is a funeral. And everyone laughs when I say that. It's not a joke. Okay. I did tell a joke, by the way, last week. And it was a good one. I can tell it again for those... Okay, but it, trust me, it was a good one, okay? Well, every wedding is a funeral, and it's not meant to be funny. It's meant to be true, because the truth of the matter is, is that if you are not ready to die, you are not ready to marry. I know that sounds morbid, and that sounds miserable, and it sounds why we want to do it, but that's the truth of the matter, is that marriage, this is one where we flipped it around. The goal of marriage is not that I go in and someone serve me hand and foot. The goal of marriage is not that I go in and someone meets all my needs, and someone give to me. That's the world's way is that I go into marriage to get my needs met. That's not the God's way. You go into marriage to be, again, the image of God, giving yourself to another, not other person. I don't have a wife and children to get me the newspaper and to serve me. I have a wife and children that I can serve them and I can give myself to them. And we got this one backwards. Most people today get married for me, my needs. I want companionship. I want security. I want someone to take care of me. I want... Uh, sexual desires fulfilled. I want, I want, I want. It's about me. Marriage is never about me. Marriage is always about we. We got this one backwards. And it's not even just marriage. Like I said, this is who God is. All of Christianity, all of Christianity, the essence of Christianity is that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but who loses his life for my sake will find it. That if you want to come after me, you deny yourself and you give yourself. That if you want to be like me, God, you want to be like God, God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. And his son gave his life. The essence of our faith is that we are here to give ourselves, not to take for ourselves. But somehow in marriage, all the rules go out the window. And you could be the best Christian in the whole wide world. And you could be a, a great servant and a great deacon and a great whatever in church. And then the, the, what we always hear is, you don't understand what he's like at home. And you don't see at home when it's at home, he's a different person. Or you don't see what she's like when she's not teaching Sunday school. Because at home, is a different person. Because somehow all here, and we should give, and we should serve, and we should love. But at home, it's all about me. And you're here to serve me, and it's my needs. And that's why marriage is broken. We learned last week that the solution to that is this red ribbon. Talked about this last week. In every Orthodox wedding, the bride and the groom both wear this red ribbon. We take this ribbon, we tie the rings, okay, with a knot, okay, you put the, the, the rings inside the ribbon, and we tie the rings with this ribbon. We do it three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we put the rings on the people, and we take the ribbon, and we put it around the bride and the groom. And red ribbon, always symbol, red always symbolizes blood. So uh, the, the symbolism there, the meaning there, is that the unity between a husband and a wife is achieved by the blood. Not the blood of Jesus, like everyone thinks it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus should die, so I should, no. Jesus already died. Stop killing Jesus, okay? It's achieved by the blood of you and the blood of the two people getting married. And that's what we saw last week, is that the unity in marriage comes by death, okay? And we talked about that last week. While every wedding begins with a funeral, it doesn't end with a funeral. 
And the funeral is just the beginning part. After the funeral, what happens next is kind of interesting. We play a little game of dress up after the, after the ring, after the ribbon. And we put the, rim, the, the ribbons on, put the rings on. We put this cat, cape, Batman looking cape kind of a thing. Okay, both the bride and the groom usually. All right. And then we put these crowns on their head. And you ask yourself, what in the world is going on? Like, are we playing just a dress-up game? Like, are we just playing, like, make them look nice for the picture or something like that? Or is there something behind that? Well, our topic here for today we're going to talk about, in my opinion, what is missing most? What is missing most from the world's view of marriage? What is the number one thing that the world just, it just misses this point altogether? And as long as you miss this point, you'll never understand marriage. And that is the idea of marriage as a sacrament or mystery. I'm going to use those two words interchangeable, and you'll see why in a little bit. Is marriage as a sacrament. Let's look at a verse from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, which we read at every wedding. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is missing in the world today is the idea of marriage as a mystery. Marriage is something sacred. Marriage is something mystical. Marriage is something beyond an agreement or a contract between two people who just agree to spend a few years together until they can't take it anymore. We're missing that idea of marriage as something heavenly, not earthly. Someone sent me this article when they found out I was starting this series from the Washington Post. It was written a couple years back. And it was titled this. It was saying, wedlock is a thing of the past. Wed lease is the new trend. True article. And I thought it was a joke, but then I kept reading it. It's a serious article. Wedlock is a thing of the past. Wed lease, that's what the future is. Quote, we all know that far too many marriages end in divorce, yet this institution does not adapt. Why is there no effort to improve the legal structure of marriage when it shows itself to be deficient? And he goes on to say that marriage isn't working, so he views it just as a legal arrangement, and we should adjust it to fit the times. And he goes on to say that instead of wedlock, we need wed lease, and he's not joking. And he is saying that just like a lease on a house or an apartment, it is not forever. It's for an agreed set of time. He was saying that you would approach a person, and you would ask to go into wed lease for a year or a five-year period, or a 10-year period. It's not a joke. Like, y'all laughing. It's not a joke. I could send you all the article, but it's discouraging. A one-year, a five-year, or a 10-year period, or whatever is the agreed-upon terms. At the end of that, if things go good after the five years, you can renew. If things don't go good, you can just separate without the messiness of a divorce. And he's got it all worked out. He figured out what to do if you have kids. Like, he came up with a plan. What to do with the house. He even came up with the idea of a, a security deposit in case there's non-compliance from one of the two partners. At the end of it, one of the commenters on the post wrote, so from now on, people will not say, will you marry me? They will say, will you marry me for 36 months? <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad, but it shows this is how the world views marriage. How does the world view marriage? If I were to ask you, Give me a summary, like summarize. The world views marriage, I would say, as an agreement between two. Marriage is an agreement. Marriage is an agreement where I 
promise to, uh, uh, to uh, we don't do this in ours, so to have and to hold, and to rich and to poor, okay? And in sickness and in health, till death do us part, part. And I vow that I will do that. And you vow that you will do that. And then we cute and we write our own vows that I want to vow this and I want, you know, to chase you across the highest ocean or to swim across the highest mountain or whatever it may be. And we make up these vows that this is the agreement between us. And if you break, then I'm going to break. But if you keep, then I'll keep. Orthodox wedding, the one glaring difference for those who have never attended is there's no vows. There's no vows. You don't stand there and say, I do and I will and I... You don't say any of that stuff. There is actually vows, but it's not vows between husband and bride, husband and wife. It's a vow between God and man. And man and God, but we'll see that in a little bit. It's a vow not that I will love you and I will take care of you and all that stuff. I absolutely, that, I, I, I mean, going into marriage, this is what we, we try to do, and I do my best to love Marianne no matter what it may be, but I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Like, I'm going to try to love her, whatever it may be, and she's going to try to love me, but we're going to fail. The vow is not between man and woman. The vow is between God and man and woman. And God says, I vow that I will unite you two. I vow that I will bless you and sanctify you and crown you with a heavenly crown. That I vow that after what I do to you, that you two will be one flesh and that even the things that everyone looks at as impure, the marriage bed will be sanctified and will become holy based on what I do to you. <clears throat> That's why I say marriage is not an agreement between two. Marriage is a union between two. Marriage is not an agreement. Marriage is a union. And it's a sacramental union. A mystical union. A union that has something to do with Christ and the church, which we'll see in a little bit. But what that shows to me is it's not an earthly thing. Once you involve Christ in the church, it's not an earthly thing. It's a heavenly thing. It's an eternal thing. It's a divine thing. And that's what I'm saying is marriage as a sacrament. What does the word sacrament mean or the word mystery mean? We always talk about sacraments are invisible grace through a visible means. Invisible something through visible something. And that fits what we define the word mystery. If I say to you something is a mystery, what does that mean? Mystery means, okay, from the dictionary right here, anything that is kept secret or remains unexplained or unknown. My favorite word in there is unexplained. Mystery is not something that we don't know what happened. Mystery is something we don't know how it happened. I tell you there was a crime that took place and it's a mystery. You know what? So-and-so, you know, killed so-and-so. Or, so or someone stole whatever. So the what is clear. But the how is not clear. It's a mystery how it disappeared. How was he able to do it? Or where did he go? Or who did it? So the mystery is not in the what, the mystery is in the how. Anything that you define as a mystery, you know exactly what it is, but you don't know how it happened. It's a mystery how this crime happened. It's a mystery how the pyramids were built. It's a mystery how uh, the skins find a way to lose every single Sunday. Like we know they're going to lose, but the mystery is, is that how? Like every week is a different way. All of the sacraments, the word sacrament and mystery, interchangeable, okay? All of the sacraments express this idea of mystery. We talk about sacraments. I say sacrament, you automatically think of like the, the highest sacrament, not the highest, but like the one we all think of is like the Eucharist. 
or communion. What, is, what happens in the Eucharist or in communion? We have bread that becomes the body and blood of Christ. Bread becomes the body, wine becomes the blood. So what is happening? Bread equals body. How? Don't know. Don't know. Mystery. Wine becomes blood. How? Don't know. Mystery. What I know. How I don't know. I know there's prayer involved. I know there's faith involved. There's no faith that doesn't do nothing. I know the Holy Spirit has a big role in it, but it's not a formula. Like, I don't know how. I know what. I don't know how. I believe in the sacrament of confession. What happens is what Christ did on the wood of the cross is applied to my specific sin. That when Christ says, forgive them, that is applied to my specific sin through the sacrament of confession. What? Forgiveness. How? I don't know. Mystery. Well, marriage is the same way. The what of marriage, we know and we understand it very, very, very clear. The how we may not, but the what is super clear. One of the church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, prolific writer, third and fourth century, wrote the following. He said, the goal of marriage is that man and woman should become one in the image of the Holy Trinity, whose three persons are essentially united in love. Next quote. When husband and wife are united in marriage, they are no longer seen as something earthly, but as the image of God himself. Look, don't ask me how, because how, I told you, I don't know how, but I know what. What is two people walk in the aisle in the church and they're looking nice for the camera, and then by the end of it all, one person walks out. You say, no, but I just, I still see two people. And I say, you may still see bread, but it's not bread. You may still see water, but it's not regular water. It's baptism water. You may see wine, it's not wine. I'm telling you, you see two, and then you see two, but it's not two. The what is, 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 is that the two have been united and become one. Last week, we talked about the red ribbon and the point that marriage begins with death. But marriage, the point, the goal is not the death. The goal is life, but you cannot achieve life without death. Can a seed give birth to a tree without dying in the ground first? The point of the death, I always look at it this way. Everything in Christianity is this way, is that Christ died to give us life. And when we die, we will then be born to new life. But you can't have the new life unless you die to the old life. Well, that's the whole thing in marriage, is that we started with the ribbon, but the point wasn't the ribbon. The point of the ribbon was so that we died to this so that we could be born to something eternal and everlasting. It's easy in marriage, both single and married, to see the negative side of marriage. That's what gets a lot of press. And it's easy when you're single to say, why in the world would I want to be married? Okay, married people have to like ask permission to do stuff. And married people have to, you know, stop on the way home to pick up diapers or milk or whatever it may be. Married people, like my husband, my friend who's, uh, who's married now, like his wife expects him to like talk to her. <laughs> Tortured. It's easy to see the ribbon in the marriage and to see why would anyone want them? What I'm telling you is, anyone who says that, by the way, that's an immature way of looking. That's an incomplete way of looking. I'm telling you that the glory of the union together, yeah, there is, there is ribbon, but the ribbon is what leads to the crown. And there's no crown without the ribbon. Best crown in marriage, or the benefits, shall we say, the fringe benefits of marriage. St. John Chrysostom also speaks about right here. He talks about the sexual union. He says the goal of sex in marriage is spiritual union. You didn't know that, did you? The goal of sex is spiritual union, not physical union. The goal of sex is spiritual union. Through the joining of two physical bodies in marital love comes a unique oneness of soul. 
Their intercourse accomplishes the joining of their bodies, and they are made one, just as when perfume is mixed with ointment. You see, here's the thing. People, again, this, we don't get this outside. We don't get this outside. Sex within marriage. You know how sometimes you hear the idea of the marriage hasn't been consummated yet. Okay, the marriage has to be consummated. And that's an idea, which I don't know where it came from. That's an idea that what happens in church doesn't really matter until what happens in the bedroom. And what happens in the bedroom is what really makes it a marriage. And that's nonsense. And for us, it's the exact opposite. That what happens in church is God unites two into one. And they are one spiritual union. And now in order for their bodies to be united in the same way that their spirits are already united, that's where sex comes in marriage. It's an expression of a unity that already took place. So when God united them in spirit, they are to unite in emotion, and they are to unite in body as well. It's an expression of the mystery, not a, a validation of the mystery or anything like that. And Amos says otherwise, you don't understand the idea. I liken it to a, 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 a doctor. Okay, A doctor graduates medical school. Right? He graduates medical school. He's a doctor, right? He's a doctor. He has a diploma that says, I'm a doctor. Just because he hasn't done a surgery yet doesn't mean he's not a doctor. It's not the surgery that makes him the doctor. It's the diploma that made him. It's when the guy said, you are now a doctor, whatever it may be. When God unites, then the two are united together. And that's what the world is missing. The world sees it just as an agreement, not as a union. Maybe if Brad and Angelina understood that this was a union, not just an agreement, they would realize that you can't just disagree. You can't just decide that the agreement is over right now because what God has joined together is much greater than that. We're going to look now how the church teaches us this, how we see this in the wedding ceremony. And we're going to see two things, the readings of the wedding ceremony and the rituals. The readings and the rituals because we learn from both of them. The readings of the wedding ceremony, there's two main ones. We already looked at one of them, Ephesians 5, which we'll come back to in a little bit. But the other reading, the gospel reading, is from Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus is asked a question about what does it mean that man marries a woman, and he asked about the idea of divorce. And he says the following. He says, it says, The Pharisees came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? First of all, before Jesus answers the question, what's the right answer to this question in the context in which Jesus lived in? Not in the context we live in. In the context that Jesus lived in at the time of first century Palestine, Middle East, a, Ju a Judaic system of, of, of government and of everything. What is the right answer to this? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Women, this is not today. Women back then, okay, were not given many rights. Men had lots of rights. Women had very few rights. Women were treated oftentimes as property. That's not right. Okay, I'm not saying that's right. And actually, that's what made one of the things that, in my opinion, made Christianity such a volatile subject because Christianity was the only place in the world in the first century where a man was equal to a woman and a slave was equal to his master. Only place in the world was in Christianity. That's why Jesus really was a revolutionary. He flipped everything upside down. But the right answer to this question is yes, a man has every right. But just show how Jesus is not thinking this level. Jesus is saying, no, marriage, y'all don't get it. Marriage is a heavenly thing. You don't apply it by context here. This is what he says. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let not man separate. I wasn't there at the time, obviously. But let me tell you how I think Jesus said this. Jesus was not saying, it's not a good idea. Or I really wish you wouldn't. Or try your best not to. He is not saying that it is not good to separate what God has joined. He is saying it is not possible to separate what God has joined. Not that it is not good. Not that I'm advising against it. He's saying that what I have glued together, you cannot unglue. Because I'm God and you're you. Example, you may have seen this example before. If I take two pieces of construction paper, okay? And I brought these thinking this was blue and pink. I just discovered, someone told me this is not blue. Is this blue? I'm colorblind, okay? So this is, pretend this is blue, okay? So you have a blue piece of construction paper and a pink piece of construction paper, boy and a girl. And I would take these two and I would glue them together. And I would glue them together. What would happen if I tried to undo them? Last time I did this analogy, I didn't give myself enough time. I didn't realize the glue would take a long time. To, so this time I pre-glued them. <laughs> huh? Experience, okay? I say, we agree to marry, and now we decide to not marry. So let's go our separate ways. And then let's marry somebody else, and let's marry somebody else. And let's glue and unglue and unglue and unglue. Can you unglue what God has glued? Y'all know how this is going to go. If I try to unglue this, what's going to happen? Uh, and the boy took the brunt of that one. <laughs> Take a let, guys. I mean, because you cannot unglue what has been glued. You cannot undo what God has dude. You cannot. Not you should not. Not it's not a good idea. He's saying it is not possible for two people to be united together. One flesh, one body, one spirit, and then to separate. And if you try to do so, you will cause permanent damage to each of them. Neither will be restored as whole. And if you have parents who got divorced, if you are a child of divorce, you know this to be true. Because every child of divorce is a living proof that when two people separate, there's always consequences. It never starts the way, it never goes back to the way it started. This word right here, when we talk about a man should be joined to his wife, you may have heard the concept before of cleave, okay? The, the, the principle here is leave and cleave. Leave your family, cleave to your husband. Leave your family, cleave to your wife. Do you know what the word cleave, when it says joined, it doesn't mean even joined like glue. It doesn't mean joined like Velcro. It means joined as skin to bones, that's what it means. Let a man be joined to his wife means the same joining, the same cleaving as my skin to my bones. I cannot separate from my skin from my bones without destroying each of them. The two are one. They are joined. Yes, they are distinct. My bones are one thing. My skin is another. But they are joined together in one flesh. They cannot be separated because what God has joined together, man not should not, man cannot separate what God has joined together. So that's the readings. How do we see this in the ritual? The ritual is very beautiful. Back up. Procession in. Red ribbon. Put the rings. Put the cape. Put the crown. Anoint them with oil. We'll see that oil next week. And we do all the prayers, and then we unite the two together. And then after we unite the two together, we bring out this. A white veil. 
And this white veil finds itself in the ceremony. After all the prayers have done, a husband and wife sit in the two chairs and they hold hands. But they don't actually hold hands. The priest takes the hand of one and gives to the other. But that's, that's a symbol of Christ giving the bride to the groom as God gave Eve to Adam. And then they hold hands. And the priest covers their hands with this. Why? Two reasons. Okay, two reasons why. Two, two, two meanings for it. One is very practical and one is more meditative. Let's start with the practical one. They're both kind of tied to the same idea, but let, let's try to understand it. First is this, if you're an Orthodox, tried and true, been to church since your life, since the beginning of your life, you see this, you automatically think of what? Communion. And the reason why the bride and the groom would be given this is because in the early days, the wedding was not separate from the liturgy of the Eucharist. Actually, in the beginning, the beginning, there was no wedding prayer. Wedding was something that didn't exist. Two people wanted to get married. They declared it in front of the church. We bring the two up here. We say, these two are going to get married. And then they receive communion together. And that communion was the uniting of the two. Eventually, as the church grew, okay, the church made it into a prayer that was part of the Eucharistic liturgy. All right, and then eventually with time, okay, they removed it from the liturgy altogether, and that way people have time to do their hair and like, do the picture and stuff like that. So then it's not a very long day. But the idea is that you cannot separate any of the sacraments. Any sacrament has to be connected to the Eucharist. Any sacrament has to be connected to the Eucharist because that's ultimately where the, the union comes from. And this, just, just so you see, kind of going on what I said last week, this shows us what I said last week, that marriage is not a concession for people because they're weak and they can't control themselves and keep themselves celibate. Okay, this was a wrong teaching that many people believe it's nonsense. If marriage was a concession, if marriage was like, okay, do it, but don't tell us anything about it, it would have not be part of the liturgy. It would not be part of Eucharist. And if, if sex was so bad that you couldn't take communion and then have sex afterward, then they wouldn't be connected right here. But when the church said, come receive the body and blood of Christ and then go do the married people stuff. It was showing that the marriage bed is undefiled and sex is not bad when it's part of God's plan. Okay, outside of God's plan, it's different, but part of God's plan. So that's the first thing, is it connects it to communion. The second and more profound meaning, I need a volunteer. I need a boy and a girl volunteer. Who's Mike and Sarah, come on down. Y'all want to be my volunteer? All right, give Mike and Sarah a big hand. Come here, Mike and Sarah. Be my volunteer. Y'all remember this. Y'all are pros from this, okay? So Mike and Sarah are going to sit down in these chairs. You're going to sit, uh, switch sides. Yeah, sit on that side, okay? You remember this, right? Okay. okay. So after, at the very end of the wedding, okay, what I do is I take the hand of the bride, okay, this one, and I place it in his hand, and I ask them to hold hands. And then I do this. Y'all remember this? Okay. And then I do this, Okay. And I cover their hands with that veil. And they sit there for the rest of the ceremony like that. What's the meaning right there? In addition, like I said, there's a communion meaning. But what's the other meaning? This girl and this boy, sorry, this lady and this man, okay, sorry, are now one. They are not two, they are one. Tell me, where does she end and he begin? Where does she be? Like, if they're standing by themselves, you see, this is my space, and this is that person's space, and there's space between us. 
But when the two are holding hands and united together like this, where does she end? I think she ends maybe here. Where does she end? Can you tell where she ends? And this is symbolic of how God now sees Mike and Sarah. He does not see two individuals. He does not see two separate people. He sees one person connected together and can never be separated. And the church wants that mystery to be clear to everyone. That's why it does this. They did a good job, didn't they? Give them a big hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> and they did that without any rehearsal, if you can believe that. Okay, without any rehearsal. They... Two people, distinct, unique, individual, individual persons. But on this day, from this time forward, not anymore. And I want to go back now to the verse that we saw from Ephesians chapter 5, where St. Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Keeping in mind this, but holding this for one second, what's the relationship between Christ and the church? He's talking about between man and woman is now the same as Christ and the church. What's the relationship between Christ and the church? Can you separate Christ and the church? Is it a agreement where Christ says, okay, I'll die for you, but be good. Can you separate the church from Christ? By comparing the church, by comparing marriage to church and Christ, what St. Paul is doing is bringing another image in our head, a beautiful image that, again, we have missed this one. And he's bringing in the image of the incarnation. He's bringing in the image of Christ, who is God and man. God and man. In the incarnation of Christ, you have divinity and humanity. And then they are joined together. And how are they joined together? In a loosely fitting way? In a here today, gone tomorrow kind of a way? You know, the, 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 the gospel in John chapter 1, where, Christ took, where God took flesh, okay, in the form of Christ, where we repeat that. This used to be part of the wedding ceremony. They used to, the wedding ceremony used to be much longer back in the old days. Actually, my, my wedding, we had two Gospels, okay, because I'm old. So in our wedding, we read John chapter 1 about the Word took flesh, okay, and then we read the one from Matthew chapter 19. This is the way it used to be back in the day. And there was two readings from St. Paul's epistle, okay, and there was two Psalms. And all of the first one, the Psalm, the Pauline, and the Gospel were all focused on the incarnation of Christ, Okay, later on we see the marriage ones that I just read. But it was all focused on the incarnation. Why? Because in Christ's incarnation, we see exactly what does it mean that what God has joined together, let not man separate. If, if, if you wanted, if anyone wanted, could you separate Christ the divine from Christ the human? Can you separate? We say it in the liturgy that we say his divinity parted not from his humanity for how long? Single moment or twinkling of an eye. And we say from the moment that he took flesh, okay, God took flesh from that moment that he took that flesh right there, that he was made one perfect union without mingling, without confusion, or without alteration. You know what that means? That means that his divinity was untouched, his humanity was untouched, they were melded together without losing properties of either one. That's exactly what happens in marriage. That's exactly what happens in marriage. Mike retains all of his properties. Sarah retains all of her properties. Yet the two are united together. And you got just as much luck trying to separate Christ's divinity from his humanity as you got trying to separate Mike from Sarah. 
why I like this picture. In the same way that he united humanity and divinity, forever, eternal, not temporary, not as long as you can. Like, you know, even the idea, like we talk about irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. We talk about we not love anymore. Gary Thomas, who's a famous Christian writer, said that to end a marriage, to throw away a marriage because you're out of love is like throwing away a car because it ran out of gas. Irreconcilable differences. We're out of love focusing on me and my feelings and my emotions versus focusing on what God has joined that not man separate. You know, even the idea. Okay, understand me here. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. So let me say it and let me explain it. Even the idea of till death do us part. The church, obviously there's exceptions to what I'm about to say. There's exceptions to no one, there's exceptions. The church has never been a fan of remarriage after death. The church has never been a fan of it. Again, there are exceptions, so please, there are exceptions. And even before death, like there are exceptions. But as a general principle, the church is not a fan of remarriage. You know why? Because even after I die or Marianne dies, she's still a part of me. Like her dying doesn't mean that she's not part of me anymore. Or me dying doesn't mean I'm not part of her. Again, there's exceptions. So please, don't, don't, don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. But the idea is that once God has joined together, even death can't separate. Because our union is not an earthly. Our union is not a bodily. If our union was just an agreement, a sexual union, yes, death kills that. But our union is much greater than that. It's a spiritual union. And the spirit doesn't die just because the body dies. So I say it this way. Marriage isn't something we shouldn't undo. Marriage is something that we cannot undo. Marriage is not something that we shouldn't undo because it's the right thing to do. Marriage is something that we can't undo because we didn't do it. We didn't do it. When God does, man cannot undo. And that, unfortunately, is what the world is missing today. Every wedding is a funeral, but every wedding is a new birth. And every wedding begins with two people dying and one new person being born. And that person is the union of bride and groom. But actually, it's not the union of bride and groom. I lied to you this whole time. It is not two become one. It's actually three become one. Because every marriage, if it is truly in the image of God, God is Trinity. God is not dual. God is Trinity. And every marriage is the union between God, man, and wife. You have to wear your red ribbon, but God wore his red ribbon. And he came down to this earth, and he carried a cross, and he died on a mountain. He carried his red ribbon. So because he carried that red ribbon just like you do, this is why God takes marriage so seriously. Because marriage is not an agreement between you and your spouse. Marriage is something that God is just as much a part of it. And we do not have the right to undo what God has done. We do not have the right or the ability to separate what God has joined together. Next week, we're going to see like the, the conclusion of the wedding is there's instructions to the bride and the groom. And that's where it talks about the roles and the man's role and the woman's role. And there's a lot of discussion about that. And the, we'll get to that next week. Okay. But we are approaching this not in a tit for tat, in an agreement kind of a way, we are seeing that marriage is something glorious. 
And marriage is something where God unites. As he united humanity and divinity and made them one without mingling, confusion, alteration, and not for a moment or twinkling of an eye, they're separate. God takes a man and God takes a woman and unites them with himself in a glorious union. And once we accomplish that, or once God accomplished that, I should say, then that's when the fun stuff really begins. Okay, and that's what I would hope that the world would see and that you would see is that marriage, it does begin with death, but it doesn't end with death. Marriage is so beautiful and so glorious when we understand it the way God meant it to be. Okay? Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the selfless love that you show to us all the time. Thank you, Lord, that you gave yourself to us, and you gave your Son to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have that same mentality of selfless giving, both in marriage and outside of marriage. Help us to approach the world that we deal with, our friends, our family, our work, but especially our homes, our, 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 our spouses and our children. Help us to approach marriage with this unselfish love, this giving love as you taught us, Lord. And help us not to look at it as about me, but more about we, and that we being a union of you and us together. We thank you, Lord, for the example that you've set before us. And we pray, I pray, Lord, for every marriage that, that's here in front of you right now that is crying out to you for help and needs to really be revived. I pray that you would shake up those who need shaking up and that you would help us to all like realize your purpose for our marriage. I pray for those who are not married, Lord, but are approaching it or thinking about it or praying about it, Lord. I pray that you would put in their mind the right vision of what marriage is, is, is and what it can be and not let them to be like cynical based on what they've seen outside pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. The prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.